Let's pray. Our Father, we thank You. We praise You. And we ask of Your help this morning, Lord. And by Your blessed Holy Spirit, Lord. We are Your servants. Lord, I specifically ask that Your blessed Holy Spirit would give us the strength and help us to depend on You. For we are weak and You are strong. Speak, Lord, for Your servant hears. In Jesus' name, Amen. Our text is from 2 Peter chapter 2. I'd like to begin and read verse 10 through 17. Picking up on the depravity of false teachers. This will be part two. Uh, the direction we're taking here is I'm going to try to finish this particular section here to verse 17 today. And Lord willing, we're going to have um, communion next Lord's Day. So we'll look at an uh, inspiring message about the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. But, but today we're going to look at verse 10 through 17. Very powerful words of the Apostle Peter that speaks to us. As we've already seen that from verse 4 to 11, he speaks of the doom of false teachers. Verse 1 to back up a little bit, 1 to 3, the destructive doctrines of the false teachers. Verse 12 to 17, the depravity of false teachers. And then Lord willing, we'll look at last of from verse 18 to 22, the deceptions, the deceptions of false teachers. A great deal is said to us in this chapter. It's the heart of the book and he is warning us of everything about these false teachers. I think we need to pay close attention because speaking to somebody about the signs of the times and they were talking about hurricanes in which we just experienced a hurricane that hit Florida, Hurricane Ian, that devastated millions of um, homes. Thankfully, so far only 50 lives was taken. It could have been much worse. A tsunami can take out hundreds of thousands. A lot of people look at this as signs of the times, and naturally it is, but Jesus said, You've always had these with you. Earthquakes, pestilence, and so forth. But if you remember what our Lord said in Matthew 25, um, the very sign that is predominant is the sign of false teachers, false prophets. That's the first thing. And this has increased in numerous ways. Numerous ways. Now, before I read verse 10 through 17, there's a few verses of Scripture I, I, I just want to give attention to, to tie into this, because 
what is being said is so critical for us to, to get. And there's a lack of discernment among us. And the reason why there's a lack of discernment is a lack of the fear of the Lord. I believe that's the direct cause. There's no fear of God before people's eyes. And we're not talking about just among pagan believers. We're talking about among believers. There's a blindness. And I cannot help but think of what the Apostle Paul says to Timothy in his last will and testament before he was executed. He said something very strong. And he charges him in verse 1 all the way to the ending until he says, The Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Amen. That was actually the very last words written down of the Apostle Paul. But in the beginning of chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, he says, I charge you. Now that's strong words. He's charging him, a younger pastor, so to speak, therefore be before God. Notice what he says, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at His appearing and His kingdom. Preach the Word. Preach the Word. Explanation point. Simple. Preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering. Notice what he says. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. And then he says this about false teachers. Actually, he's speaking of false teachers. For the time will come, not maybe, but will come, when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And actually, I believe what he's speaking of there is the teachers is speaking of false teachers. People would desire to hear false teachers more than to hear men of God and servants of God speak the truth in love. And notice what he says, and they will turn their ears away from the truth. Don't we see this today? Be turned aside to fables. False teachers really love to preach fables, myths, stories. But he gives us an exhortation, but you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Fulfill your ministry. Now, if you look at Jude, right next to Revelation, we're going to be looking at Jude a great deal today. A lot of verses from Jude. He begins his letter by saying this in verse 3. And I read verse 3 and 4. He's speaking about contending for the faith. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation. 
I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. This is how he begins his letter. He's, he's actually burdened. He's, he wants to reconcerning the common salvation. The common salvation? I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. And then he tells us, why? Why should we contend for the faith? For certain men, and what's he talking about? This is false teachers. False teachers, certain men, we don't know exactly who these men were, but they were false teachers, have crept in, in like the Trojan horse, unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men. They're ungodly. And notice what they do. They turn the grace of our God into lewdness, licentiousness. A cheapening of the grace of God, in other words. Lewdness, licentiousness. And deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. They deny Him. Their words say one thing, but their life denies who Christ really is in their life. So they deny Him in works. A lot is said. Now go with me to Second Peter. And we're going to pick up, and I want you to see the tie-in here of those verses of Scripture of what Peter is actually saying under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. How bad are these false teachers? They're very bad. They're very depraved. Verse. Let me begin with verse 10 because it kind of ties into what everything is in. Especially those who walk according to the flesh and the lust of the uncleanness and despise authority. They are presumptuous, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries, angelic beings, basically, uh, glorious ones. Whereas angels who are greater in power and might do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord, but these, but these, like natural brute beasts made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of the things they do not understand and will utterly perish in their own corruption and will receive the wages of, of, of unrighteousness as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. They are spots and blemishes, carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery, and they cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. They have a heart trained in covetous practices, and are accursed children. They have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice restrained the madness of the prophet. These are wells without water, clouds carried by a tempest, for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Very, very strong words. From the If you notice these apostles held nothing back about these false teachers. Basically they said they're accursed and they are utterly heading for the darkness of damnation of hell forever. 
And if you look at it, they're better, it says in verse 12, they're like natural brute beasts made, be, made to be caught and destroyed. They're better off dead than living. Strong words from the apostles. Now, last Lord's Day, I want to recap just a little bit. We looked at their primaries. Their primaries is verse 10. Verse 10, they especially, especially those who walk according to the flesh and the, uh, the lust of uncleanness. They're unclean. They're unholy. They despise authority. They are presumptuous, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak of uh, evil of dignitaries. We see this. Presumptuous basically means that they're brazen, audacious, defiant. Self-willed means that they're obstinate. They're a, uh, they are obstinate, uh, determined to do their own thing, their own way, just as Cain did. Cain had an attitude problem when he came before the Lord. The Lord commanded worship in a certain way, a blood sacrifice. He refused it. He was obstinate and defiant before God. So that basically, that's why Jude mentions they've gone the way of Cain. They're self-willed, obstinate. They're presumptuous. So that basically speaks of the primaries. Next, we looked at their pride. Their pride. This is big because this is really the heart of their attitude problem is their pride, their own pride, that they're lifted up in pride and, and they're not humble. They, they want to do everything that they want to do just like Satan does. Just let them lo- let loose. Do whatever they, they seem to be right. There's a way that seems right unto man, but the end thereof is the way of death. So these false teachers teach, they basically are arrogant and they're full of pride, full of themselves. They've never denied themselves to follow Jesus Christ. Even though they claim to be Christians and they pretend to be Christians, but they do not deny themselves and take up the cross of the Lord, uh, take up their own cross and follow Jesus. There's no counting the cost as far as they're concerned. They're in it for the wrong reasons. They're in it for for the love of praise and the love of money. They speak evil of dignitaries and glorious ones. We looked at that. That basically means angelic beings. And here in this text, in which Peter is referring to, he's probably referring to the fallen, wicked angels. Pastor John MacArthur says this, quote, Wicked angels have a level of existence in the supernatural world that has a dignity and a transcendent quality about it that is beyond humanity. Even fallen angels. He goes on to say, a certain honor belongs to those who transcend time. Consequently, there must be no flippancy regarding Satan and his angels. It may, he goes on to say, it may even be that these teachers try to... Excuse their wicked lust by pointing to, to the angels in Genesis 6 that says, who did not keep their proper domain. And he says, basically, the blasphemy 
of even bad angels. This is MacArthur. The blasphemy of even bad angels by false teachers demonstrated their arrogance and antipathy toward any authority, be it good or bad. End quote. So you see their presumption. We see their self-willed. We see their pride. And we also see their predisposition. Their predisposition. That's in verse 12 through 14. I'm going to pick up right there because I didn't get a chance to finish that. These false teachers are pretenders. They're hypocrites. They're play actors. They claim to know God, but they deny Him in their works. They have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. 1 Timothy 4, 1 and 2 says this, Now the Spirit expressly or explicitly says that in the latter times some would depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience, listen to that, their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Their conscience is seared. They could get up and speak the truth and say one thing with their lips and sound so good, but their heart is far from God. They honor God with their lips, but their heart's far from Him. And sad to say, as this text says from 1 Timothy 4, the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Spirit, because he says, now the Spirit explicitly says, not what he didn't even say what, Paul, what I say, it's what the Spirit is saying. That in the latter times some would depart from the faith. Those weak, unstable souls that will fall prey to false teachers will abandon the faith that was once delivered to the saints, as Jude said. The Greek word for depart here is interesting because it speaks of an English word. It means to go apostate. To go apostate. Refers to someone moving away from the original position in which they started. People defecting the faith. Defecting from the truth. After believing lies. Believe in a lie and being damned, the Scripture says. These are warnings from God. And they're loving warnings. And deception is Satan's number one strategy. And he still uses this strategy today because he's successful in it. This deception, thus revealing the true nature. As these people are unconverted. And they fall away from the faith, and they never were, were once they never were born again from the first. Even though they these false teachers pretend to be Christians, demonic spirits it says sometimes directly, but uh, most of the time it is by through in false teachers in which Satan works. And these people have wandered away from the truth. Listen to that. Wandered away. They defect 
they defect away from the truth. And they lead, and these false teachers lead others to do the same. Probably the most defining word to describe the entire operation of Satan's mission is deception. Deception. We see that, don't we? Deception. I can't help but think of um, 1 John 4. We briefly looked at this, but 1 John 4 speaks of um, what we're to do. We are test the spirits. Try the spirits, the old King James says, but try the spirits means test them. Listen what the Apostle John says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God. Whether they are of God. You know, isn't that the problem today? That's the problem. There's, no, there's such a lack of discernment. People are not growing in the truth. And a lot of it's to blame because the pulpits. And not only America, but worldwide, is lacking truth that's being proclaimed. Because, and notice what he says, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Many. Not just a few. There's many of them. This was... Folks, this is 2,000 years ago. How many are there increased now? By this you know the Spirit of God. And He tells us how to, how to uh, test them. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. So it's really focused on how, what do they believe about the Lord Jesus Christ? Verse 3, And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. And I love what he says here. This is one. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world. Therefore, they speak as of the world and, and the world hears them. In other words, you know what the world accepts. They are of the world. If a false teacher gets up and speaks worldly things and carnal things and the church loves it and praises him for it, well, they're of the world. They're not born again. What does he say in verse 6? We are of God. Notice verse 5. They are of the world. Verse 6. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. And he who is not of God does not hear us. Don't we see this today? By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. There's nothing in between that, folks. You have the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Now back to 2 Peter. Look at verse 12 through 13. But these like natural brute beasts, made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of things they do not understand and will utterly perish in their own corruption. Strong words. The reference to this is Jude 10. But these speak evil of whatever they do not know and whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts. He used the, almost the same terminology, the same words as Peter does, but in a different way. 
In these things, they corrupt themselves. They corrupt themselves. You know, false teachers speak evil. What is that? That speaking evil means they blaspheme. They blaspheme, verse 8. They blaspheme. Likewise, also these dreamers of verse 8 of, of, of uh, Jude, I'm quoting from. Also, these, he calls them dreamers. They defile the flesh, reject authority. We already looked at that. They reject authority. You notice about false teachers, we looked at that last Lord's Day. How they despise authority, they reject authority, they don't want it to be under authority. They want to be an authority to themselves. That's what Satan did. It's demonic. They speak evil. There it is again. They blaspheme dignitaries, angelic beings, glorious ones. And to the point they corrupt themselves. That's what he says. This is what they, they are led to. They corrupt themselves spiritually and morally. Spiritual corruption, moral corruption. Interesting, Peter says, and will utterly perish in their own corruption. Own corruption. Their own corruption. And if you notice in 2 Peter chapter 2, the last uh, verse in verse 22, notice what he says, but it, is, it has happened to them according to the true proverb. And he actually quotes a proverb a dog returns to his own vomit. And then he gives his own proverb by the Holy Spirit. A sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. Now that's interesting, isn't it? These are two very graphic analogies of someone who goes apostate. Points to a dog and a hog. Brother Keith sent that to me. I said, that would make a good title for this part. Dogs and hogs. That's their disposition, isn't it? That's the way they act. That is part of their nature. They got the nature of a dog. And you know what the Scripture says? Dogs in Revelation. Go with me to the last chapter. I want you to see this. The very last chapter of Revelation. Notice, notice verse 15. What does he say? But outside. Outside of what? Outside of the holy city. Eternal damnation. Eternal hell. Where else outside? They're not inside the city. They're outside of the holy city. And this is what he says. And let me read verse 14. Blessed are those who do His commandments. God's people do His commandments. They obey. That they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. The city of God. But outside are what? Dogs. They're dogs. That's what He's speaking about. Unbelievers. The wicked. The false teachers. Dogs, 
It's interesting. The dogs are the first ones he lists. Then he says, and sorcerers. Sorcerers, that's basically demonic activity. Reading palms. All this uh, getting into satanic religion and sexually immoral. That, that's a big group. Sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. Why? Because Satan is the father of all lies. Strong words, isn't it? That's their predisposition. That's their predisposition. Go back to 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 13 through 14a, and will receive the wages of unrighteousness and those who count it pleasure to carouse. That word carouse means to rebel. They do it gladly, without shame. They revel in the daytime. No shame whatsoever in the daylight to do the sinful acts to defy God and authority. And of all the evil that they do, they are. and then, then basically uh, Peter and Jude says this, uh, they are spots and blemishes carousing, reveling in their, in their own deceptions while they feast with you. Oh, listen to that. Speaking about the Lord's table. They feast with you around the Lord's table. MacArthur basically says in the original language when it speaks about um, that there's spots and blemishes, that it means dirt and scabs. Dirt and scabs. And by the way, it's interesting that dirt and scabs, the scabs and spots and blemishes are opposite of the character of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is spotless. And the church should be like her Lord. Interesting, Ephesians 5.27, listen to how this ties in. That He, speaking of Jesus, might present her to Himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she, that's the church, the she should be holy and without blemish. No spots, no wrinkles, no blemish, but pure and holy. Does Jesus care about the purity of His church? I think that's number one on His list. I really do, with all my heart. Yet, here in 2 Peter 2, 13b, He says these false teachers, these false teachers are dogs. They are spots and blemishes. They are dirt and scabs. And the Scripture says they are carousing, they're reveling while they feast with you. And, and, and as you feast, you have an agape feast, you have a love feast, and they're right there feasting with you, pretending to be Christians. They do this claiming to be a follower of Jesus Christ, and they're claiming to be teachers of the truth, while they sit with Christians at the love feast, covering up their own damnable ways. Covering up their corruption with religious talk. How many people you've known like that? 
They can talk a religious talk. They can even quote scripture. They even can quote the Puritans. They can even quote the hymns. They sing the hymns. This is scary, folks. This makes me tremble. As, as one Puritan says, Judas heard all of Christ's sermons. They can even hear sermons, good sermons, and say amen, and shout, and supposedly praise God and lift up hands. I don't know if they're holy hands, but they lift up their hands. Go with me to Isaiah 1. This, this is exactly what Isaiah chapter 1, what God says in Isaiah 1 speaks of. And, and God's words are very strong, but He doesn't leave them without hope. He actually gives them hope, but notice the warning that He gives in Isaiah 1. Look at beginning at verse 9. Strong, strong words. Unless the Lord of hosts had left us to us a very small remnant, we would have become, become like Sodom, and we have been made like Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings and of rams, and the fat of the fed of cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or goats. As we was listening, let me stop right there and comment as we was listening to the sacrificial Old Testament, uh, the purpose of the sacrificial Old Testament uh, services and the sacrifices. R.C. Sproul talked about all that foreshadows Jesus Christ. And here, these people are still offering up their sacrifices and yet, they're being religious, but they're, they're utterly sinful. They have not repented of their sin. That's what he's saying. In verse 12, you, And when you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? This is God speaking. When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more fruitile sacrifices, incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, and the calling of the assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity. Did you hear that? I cannot endure iniquity. That's what God hates. And the sacred meeting. Basically, they were playing religious. Offering up worship. But it was a wrong kind of worship. Your new moons and your appointed feast. My soul hates. They are a trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. That makes me tremble to hear that God would say that. It makes me think how many times he, that He's weary of the worship that is offered up before Him, that it has offering of strange fire. When you spread out your hands, notice this, yet they even spread their hands out. I will hide my eyes from you. And even though you make many prayers, notice this, they, they're, they're, there's a worship involved here. They're lifting up their hands, but they're not holy hands. And they're saying prayers, but it's not the kind of prayers God is desiring. I will not hear it. Your hands are full of blood. What does that tell us? They're, they're murderers. They have not repented. They're still living wrong. They're still living wicked. 
And God doesn't stop there. Notice what He says in verse 16. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. It's almost like in the Old Testament, as, as uh, <coughs> I'm not for sure exactly what book it says. Sanctify yourself. I think it's Joshua. Sanctify yourselves. Call a solemn assembly. Separate yourself. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings before my eyes. Is that repentance? That's, that's repentance. It's, it's wonderful the way God does this because He gives them warning and then He tells them specifically what repentance looks like. There's a washing. There's a cleansing. There's a putting away of the evil doings before God's eyes. Ceasing to do evil. Learning to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Think false teachers care about that? They don't, they don't defend the fatherless. They take advantage of the fatherless. You think they plead for the widow? No, they take from widows. And he says these gracious words. Come now. Come now. They, there's still an invitation. Open up. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. That's some of the most beautiful promises in the Word of God right there of a cleansing that God offers. He says, come now. Don't put it off. Come now. And let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel... You shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. That's some powerful words, but God has spoken, right? That is such love. Strong language, but wonderful love. Well, let's look at the fourth point. We looked at their primaries. We looked at their pride. We looked at their predisposition. Now let's look at their passion. Their passion. What is their passion? These are false teachers' passion. They, they lust. Notice what it says in verse 14b. Having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin. In other words, they're, they're not repentant. They're not, they, repentance is not even on the radar screen. What are they doing? Enticing unstable souls. They entice unstable souls. They have a heart trained in covetous practices and are accursed children. Well, that's strong words. It's like Peter is just unleashing the truth and the wrath of God upon them. While these false teachers are uncontrollably driven by their own lust. They have eyes full of adultery. They cannot cease from sin. And, and then they entice unstable souls. And unstable souls mean weaker souls. Uh, probably more uh, new converts. And it's interesting here that this word unstable is a metaphor uh, from fishing. They prey on the weak, unstable, young, new converts. 
Verse 15, they have forsaken the right way. They've forsaken the right way. But notice with me the end of verse 14. These false teachers, they have a heart trained in covetous practices. Like a trained athlete. In the context here in the Greek. A trained athlete that these false teachers have prepared basically as an athlete. They prepare themselves, they equip themselves. And these false teachers prepare themselves, they equip their minds and to concentrate on nothing but forbidden things from which their passions of lust desire. Scripture says they're accursed children. Listen to that. Accursed children. Basically, these false teachers are cursed. They're damned for hell. For their blatant wickedness and all that they do in the name of God Almighty. In the name of Jesus Christ. The name that is a name above all names. And one day, at that name, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. They use the name of Jesus Christ for their own lust. I don't know about you, beloved, but that makes me tremble. Doesn't it make you tremble? Listen to Galatians 3.10. For as many as are of the works of the law... And by the way, the Apostle Paul is warning the the Christians in in Galatia against Judaizers, false teachers. When We know what kind of false teachers they were. We don't know exactly the kind that Peter is speaking of, but... Paul's speaking against the Judaizers that they, they mixed law and grace, okay? They added to the gospel. And he says, well, by the works of the law, you are under the curse. He says, for it is written, curses is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. He's quoting actually from Deuteronomy 27, 26. So basically, that speaks that it is a failure to perfectly keep the law of God. And that failure will bring divine judgment and condemnation upon their heads. Now, let's think of this. Not a one of us and not a person alive, only Jesus, can keep the law. Or has kept the law. We break the law one way or another, don't we? I think we do every day in one sense. We don't desire it, but when we do, we broke it. We break God's law. It doesn't have to be just physically. We can do it mentally by adultery, by murder. Adultery is by lusting after another woman. That's something why we have to constantly watch where we place our eyes Watch constantly, um, guard our hearts, right? Murder in the heart, we could get angry. Murder can commit, be committed in the heart. And that's what the whole Sermon on the Mount's about, isn't it? Jesus goes, it's almost like it makes me think of a hunter with a scope. Jesus is not shooting a shotgun just blasting everywhere. He takes that scope and he's got it aimed right at the heart. He's aimed at the heart. And that's what he desires to change through regeneration of being born again. So, 
Back to what Paul is saying, just one, think of this, one violation of the law of God deserves the curse of God. Think of that. One violation of the curse of God's law brings on the curse of God. Just one. Chapter and verse, James 2.10. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. Wow, that's a powerful verse. Of course, no one can keep that. Only Jesus did. But look at what these false teachers do. They take the Word of God. They take the law of God. They twist it for their lust. They are cursed children. Let me not leave you unless I mention Galatians 3.11 because Paul goes on and gives us some good news. Notice how he talks about the law of God, then he gives grace. But that... No one is justified by the law in the sight of God. No one. That, that No one means no one. No one can be justified by the law in the sight of God. Paul is making it very clear to these Judaizers. You are not saved by keeping the law. Yeah, how many times have we seen on bumper stickers out there, have you seen it? Keep the Ten Commandments. I think to myself, every time I say, what in the world? <laughs> Can't keep the Ten Commandments. Can't even keep one of them. Try to keep all ten of them, but Jesus kept all ten of them perfectly. No one is justified by the by the law in the sight of God is evident for the just shall live by faith. It's by faith. Back to Second Peter. Second Peter, look at 2.15. The, they, the false teachers, have forsaken the right way and have gone astray. In other words, they are heading to a cursed hell. Why? Scripture tells us. Because following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. He loved the wages? The wages of unrighteousness. That wages means what, what he earns. I would honestly say the love of money is there. Balaam, as you well know, foolishly preferred wealth over worship. He forsaken the right way, right? And he's a prophet. He's a prophet. He was a prophet of God, but he's a false prophet. He was bought. He was bought with money. And by the way, the Old Testament metaphor, forsaking the right way, means forsaking obedience to God. That's what it's referring to. It's a metaphor. Jude 11. Listen to Jude. Ties into what Peter says. Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain, have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. Balaam served as, serves as an illustration for all of us and an example for such false prophets that he was in it for the money. He served God for what he could get out of him. He wanted money. He had the love of money. And he was an Old Testament compromising prophet to sell to whoever paid him. And he was bought with money. Bought with money. Now listen to this. Go with me to 2 Timothy chapter 6. I want you to see this. Paul the Apostle addresses this. 
And by the way, he's actually speaking about um, the qualifications of elders. And, uh, and in chapter 6, in this pastoral epistle, he speaks against error and greed. Listen to verse 3. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to the wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness... Notice what he says, almost the same thing, exactly what Peter pointed out about these false teachers. He is proud, knowing nothing. He's basically, he's full of pride. He's ignorant, knowing nothing, but is obsessed with the disputes and arguments over words from which come envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions, Useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth. The destitute of the truth. Who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. From such withdraw yourself. Leave them. If they teach this. And then he tells us what real godliness it looks like. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing and these we shall be content. But listen to this. Verse 9. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith. You hear that? They strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Folks, is this does not describe false teachers. Does this not describe them perfectly to a T? This is within the church. And you have how many leaders, so-called leaders, pastors, Today, behind the pulpit, that are serving supposedly the church of God for wrong motives. They're in it for the praises of men and for the love of money. Strong words, but it's true. Well, let's look at it. <clears throat> the love of money, their lust for being pop- popular, and, and, and their lust for power. Balaam loved money and he led Israel into lustful sin. Balaam deliberately forsook God's way and God's law and the truth in Scripture like him when many false teachers reject the Holy Bible, they will suffer severe consequences. And last, number five, let's go to the last P. We looked at the primaries, number one. Number two, their pride. Number three, their predisposition. Number four, their passion. Number five is their penalty. Their penalty. Look at verse 17 of Second Peter. Their penalty. Their penalty is very straight. Notice what it says. Verse 17. These are wells without water. Carried... Clouds carried by a tempest for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Wells without water. Interesting. 
Peter uses two poetic figures, whales and clouds. Whales and clouds. Now, this, this is interesting because Jude 12 and 13 says this, These are spots in your love feast. We already looked at that. While they feast with you with the, without fear, he adds that. They, they feast with you without fear. I, I really believe he's speaking about the fear of God. Uh, serving only themselves, that they are clouds without water, carried about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming up of their own shame, wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Their penalty, this is their penalty. Clouds, wells, Ethan, Ethan, hey Ethan, Ethan, look here. They represent a precious commodity, which is in the Middle East. A well without water would be a major and a very serious disappointment in a high in a hot desolate land, right? Likewise, false teachers have a pretense of spiritual water. To quench the thirsty soul. They do not quench the thirsty soul. They have nothing to give a dry and thirsty soul, do they? Isn't that sad? False teachers, they give all these words, but they do not have really what people, souls need. And that is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So Peter mentions, they are clouds carried by a tempest. The coming of clouds would seem to promise rain that will be coming in a dry and desolate land. You know, if we lived in the Middle East in the desert, we would rejoice to see a cloud come by and give rain. It's like, oh wow, there's, there's something great on the horizon. There's hope. There's rain coming to a desolate, dry desert. But the false teachers cannot bring this. They don't deliver this. Sometimes the storm, by the way, would blow in clouds, leaving the land dry and hot, desolate. The false teachers might seem to promise spiritual refreshment, but they all they do is show with no substance to give. And that's why the Scripture says, they are clouds without water. They are clouds without water, carried about by the winds. Autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots. Jude 13, the raging waves of the sea, foaming up of their own shame, wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Clouds without water is actually, is a proverb. Proverbs 25, 14 says, whoever falsely boasts of giving is like clouds and wind without rain. The trees without fruit. False teachers hold out their claim of providing spiritual feast. Instead, they deliver famine. Twice dead trees that never yield fruit, regardless of what they name and claim. They're empty and void. Right in my notes, Brother Keith. Just like Jesus cursed the victory, they're cursed. They're uprooted. Raging waves. MacArthur says of the raging waves, listen to this, this is good. Apostates promise powerful ministry but are quickly exposed as 
wreckers, wreakers, I'm sorry, of havoc and workers of worthless shame. Chapter and verse, Isaiah 57, 20. But the wicked are like a troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. Listen to that. There's no peace, says my God, for the wicked. No peace. The last point, they're wandering stars. They're wandering stars. Let me, let me give you an illustration. Have you ever seen a falling star? On a cold, crisp, dark night, they burn out. You notice, they, they call them falling stars, so I think it's a dying star, however you want to put a meteor, maybe. But nevertheless, however you want to name it, they fall from the night sky. And if you know it, it notice it's, it's like uh, this shooting star is there for a moment. And you see a great flame shoot across the sky. And it's there just for a, for a moment. Then it fades out and it's gone. It's gone forever. That's what the Scriptures are saying. These are... These, these wandering stars, these shooting stars, these dying stars has a moment of brilliance and then it fades away forever into nothing. They're gone. These are the false teachers. They parade themselves. They're brilliant. They're flashy. They promise everything, but they don't deliver what people really need is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. They promise enduring spiritual direction. They promise all these things and they deliver and they're aimless and they're like a flash of light for a moment and they're gone. In darkness forever. That's their penalty. I didn't say it. These are wells without water, clouds carried by the tempest for whom is reserved. God has got them reserved. The blackness of darkness forever. Application. I'm going to revisit this. I wanted to expand on this more, but my time is gone. Let me give you a two-minute application. And again, I repeat the application I gave last Lord's Day. And I wanted to go to Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3 and, t- and speak to you and, and kind of go over the, the churches and, and, and the way the order is how in chapter 2 the uh, apostolic church is the first one representing in the ages of the apostolic church in the, uh, in the book of Acts, and then it ends with an apostate church in Laodicea. And that's where we are. Don't have time, that's another sermon. But even in that, in chapter 2, the loveless church, he speaks to them and says, remember and repent. Remember your first works. And do it over again. And repent! But... Jude, Jude tells us in 17 through 23, but you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time. Those mockers are the false teachers. 
who would walk according to their own ungodly lust. And that's what we see. They're dogs. They are sensual persons. Look at verse 19. They, they, these are sensual persons who cause divisions. Not having the Spirit. They don't have the Spirit of God in them. I love what Jude says because it tells us how to maintain our life with God. And then he gives a, a benediction to the glory of God. But notice in verse 20, But you, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life, and on some have compassion, making a distinction. But others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. And I love this. I get this from MacArthur, but I love his outline of this. Number one, remember the Word of God. Remember the Word of God. Verse 17, But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember God's Word. Remember, remember, remember. That's the exhortation. And then, remain faithful to God. Remain faithful to God. Where do you see that? Verse 21. He says, building up yourselves on your most holy faith in verse 20, but keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves in the love of God. I believe that would be by obedience to God, Jesus' commands, wouldn't it? And then last, reach out with the love of God for the glory of God. Let me leave with you this in Ephesians 4, and then we'll close. Go with me to Ephesians 4. And listen to the Apostle Paul. Verse 11, for he, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Think of that. To a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love. This is our mission, beloved. May grow up in all things into Him who is the head, Christ, for whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share. Like a body working together. Causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. May this be true of us as well at Redeeming Grace Church. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, how we bless You, how we thank You for the warnings, for the admonitions, for the correction in righteousness, for it's all out of a great heart of love. Because Lord, if we were left to ourselves, we would not know which way to go. But You have given us Your Holy Word, a sure testimony, a sure foundation, 
and points us to the Lord Jesus Christ and Him crucified and Him buried and Him resurrected and Him ascended and one day coming as soon coming King. We bless Your name for this, Lord, and we thank You for these exhortations. We thank You for these warnings. We thank You for the admonitions. Lord, we thank You, Lord, for all these examples that are given to us from Your Word that's been preserved down through the years, Lord, to teach us and to help us in the way of truth, the Lord Jesus Christ. We give You praise. We give You glory. We give You honor. And Lord, help us to be doers of the Word and not just hearers. Help us, Lord, to be obedient to Your Word, to Your will, and to all that You have given us in this life. And we ask this in Jesus' name for Your glory. Amen.